today we are continuing our sermon series in the book of Proverbs. We have been walking through this book with the theme of wisdom in life. And today's topic that is before us is planning. Now, I guess this video sermon itself has become a sermon illustration today. Since none of us planned on coming to a church and watching a video sermon. Certainly, you didn't plan on that. We didn't. I had a full intention to be there in person preaching the Word of God. But God had a different plan. So here we go. Now, we all plan one way or the another. Do you like planning church? Perhaps some of you love it, some of you not so much. For me, it all depends on the circumstances. For example, like family vacation, I love going on family vacation with my sister because she loves planning whole trip. She would create a Google sheet and lay out day by day. She would research the best restaurants in town, like best attraction sites to visit, best place for my nephew to play. And I just tag along like a parasite and just enjoy all the great plans that she has put together for our family. I just get to be a greatest uncle and I really enjoy that. On the other side, for some of you, this sounds more like a nightmare. Jin, you go to vacation that you don't even know what you're about to do? No, I have to be the one that planned the trip, whether it be with my friends or family. I love planning. I have to be in charge of it. I cannot just go along like that. I guess we all differ from one degree to another degree, but in other circumstances, I can be pretty obsessive planner as well. One time, a friend of mine looked over my Google calendar and said, Chen, You've got a problem. I think you even plan for your spontaneous time. Yeah, I guess sometimes I like planning, like my daily life, how I'm going to spend each day. But when it comes down to vacation, I can be as relaxed as I can. Now, we all differ in our temperament and disposition about to the degree, which degree you like planning and stuff. But today's sermon isn't so much, what book of Proverbs present before us isn't so much about your disposition or temperament about planning, as the book will focus much more actually on the heart issue that is revealed when it comes down to the topic of planning. You will know what I mean by that as you go along each point. So as we dive in today, may the Lord reveal and uncover what is underneath our hearts as the Proverbs does a great reality check of our pulse of our heart. So may the Lord bless our time together. And like a great planner I am, I have three kind of outlines that I planned for. We'll see how that goes. The first is the reason for planning. First, we will examine the reason. Why do we need to plan? 
Is that just because of common sense practicality? Or does the scripture point us perhaps something beyond just practicality? Is there any biblical or theological reasoning and argument for planning? We will explore that, the reason for planning first. And second, we will talk about the need for humility in planning. As we talked about, it doesn't talk much about like temperament or disposition, but it talks much more about heart issue. So we'll talk about the need for humility in planning. And lastly, we will spend majority of our time today talking about the sovereignty of God in our planning. So the reason for planning, the need for humility in planning, and sovereignty of God in our planning. Let's go on by on first. The reason for planning. Yeah, on this sheet that you have received as you walked in, have all the verses that I'm going to cover today. And first, a few verses, 19.2. Desire without knowledge is not good. How much more will hasty feet miss the way? 21.5. The plan of the diligent lead to profit, as surely as haste leads to poverty. These first few verses talk about, teaches on, and assumes on the importance of planning. Desire without knowledge, plan is not good. Passion without plan will not be successful. Only the hastiness will miss the way. You must take time to plant. And the 24, 27, one verse after we listed there, gives an imagery of a builder. Put your outdoor work in order and get your fields ready. After that, build your house. And when you look at just the same chapter 24.3, it's not listed there. It says, by wisdom a house is built, and through understanding it is established. So when you build a house, whether you're a construction worker, architect, or perhaps you're a handyman who likes to fix stuff, or mechanic, or even interior designer who brings beauty into aesthetics. You don't just throw things, you don't just throw bricks, you don't just throw cement and houses built. You carefully examine the soil, you carefully examine its foundation, you think through how it's gonna put all together, think about electrical wiring and all that, carefully plan and execute accordingly. Otherwise, it will be a disaster. That house will crumble in a second. That aesthetics will be pretty messy. Um, the car will not run. The plan needs to be there in order to execute it wisely. But the hasty only leads to destruction. It's not gonna work. So, in like, in as practical as you can get, what if we didn't have any plan for today's worship service? You came for church, there are no songs. We don't know who's gonna pray, who's gonna read the scripture. And I guess whoever comes up to preach says, uh, I don't know what to preach, let me just Bible thump. Well, actually, let's just go to Jersey Shore together. What kind of church would that be? You would be the first one to walk out and you are say, this is chaos, terrible. Yeah, that would bring a lot of troubles and issues, right? Without plan, nothing will work. Perhaps one of the greatest modern kind of success and achievement when it comes down to planning, one that I can think about, is done by NASA, James Webb Telescope. This James Webb Telescope was launched uh, Christmas of 2021, last year, after 25 years of planning. 
It was thought about in 1996, finally began building in 2004, and finally launched in 2021. 25 years of planning and execution. It was estimated roughly around $500 million to cost. 25 years later, totally costed not $500 million, $10 billion. This NASA engineers, did they just throw a bunch of metals together to see whether it's gonna fly to the uh, above hemisphere and all the way to cosmos? No. They carefully planned. How carefully they planned amazes me that they even had to plan how they are going to transport this James Webb telescope from where they built to the launch site. They realized that this sophisticated machine cannot afford any air. They found out that even the width of a hair, that amount of dust can cause a damage that they built a, the most expensive shipping box you can ever imagine. The size of 18-wheeler container that is self-cleaning every single dust particle. So then it can be absolutely particle-free in the James Webb telescope to be able to launch it successfully. So it doesn't work to just spend $10 billion for no reason without plan just wing it doesn't work. So by wisdom, house is built through understanding it is established. Uh, then you might say, okay, so Proverbs is talking about common sense, practicality. Is that it? Is that why we need to plan? Now, let's just take one step further, church, because for us, especially Christian, there is more than just practicality and common sense when it comes down to reason for planning. Like think of our God. In creation account, when you look at Genesis 1-2, the earth was formless and void. It means it was out of order. It was chaos. And then day one, day two, day three, day by day, God executes his plan to bring order into chaos. Our God creates a plan and executes it to create light, to create water and heaven and earth. Uh, did God need to do that? He could have snapped. No, he did not even need to snap his finger. He could have thought about it and the entire earth could have existed. But he carefully plants and executes it and he creates mankind in the likeness, in the image of him. We are made in Imago Dei, image of God, and we are called to resemble his likeness. So, why do we plan? Because our God is the master planner. He planted this earth and he created according to his sovereign plan. And we, the people of God, are called to be his likeness. Like think of another biblical account of a redemptive story. When Adam and Eve fell in Genesis, God could have said, well, too bad. Okay, let me save you. Boom, done. You're heaven again. No, did God do that? Not at all. Throughout entire Old Testament, uh, through the prophets, they foretell about the coming of the Messiah, who is going to come and redeem the mankind. So Jesus comes, lives, dies on the cross for our sins, ascends. Now, after that, resurrect the Savior, ascends, and now he foretells that he's going to come again, once again. And we wait for the God's master plan to be completed for our salvation. God did not need to do that. But for thousands upon years, he carefully executes his master plan to save us. 
We plan because we are made in the likeness of God. We are called to bring order into chaos. We are called to bring all different things together to bring about beauty just like God has done. So need for planning is not just practical or common sense, but we get to follow in the likeness of God as we plan and execute as he has modeled for us. So first reason for planning is yes, practical, through wisdom, by wisdom, house is built and through understanding it is established. Now, secondly, we have learned just now that there is no oops in God. God is the master planner. That's why we do plan. Secondly, now, let's talk about the need for humility in our planning. When you look at next few verses, like 1-5, the first chapter of Proverbs, it says, Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance. And it also says 11-14, For lack of guidance, a nation falls, but victory is won through many advisors. Here, 1-5 and 11-14 uses the word guidance. Uh, this word is actually the sailor's term. It literally means steering. And when you look at the word or is arising from the tackle of the ship that is made out of the pulleys and the rope and through that sailors steer the ship. And Proverb here says that how do you plan wisely? They listen and add to their learning by gathering all the wise counsel. Like uh, 15.22, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. So initially, when you look at it, you think, okay, so how do you plan well? Oh, it's about getting many advice from beloved friends and wise ones. That's what Proverbs talk about. And you are correct. But it actually takes one step further. In the surface, it seems like Proverbs is focused on the how to plan, the tactics of it. But actually, when you read it carefully, it has much more than just tactics. It's not necessarily about just how, but it's about who. Meaning, Proverbs don't necessarily talk just about how to plan successfully, but it talks more about what kind of person you need to become in order to plan well. Like 1-5 here, who listens, Shelton? Listen is the most repeated command in the book of Proverbs, but who listens? Only the humble will listen. If you think you know it all, you don't listen, you tell. You just speak about how much you know, and you don't want to hear because you know it all. A true proud person will not seek counsel because I've got it together. Why do I need your opinion? I know better. Only the humble will truly seek advice from others. When you ask others' opinion, you are humbly acknowledging that you might know something that I might not know. Uh, it's a lot of times Proverbs focus on the heart attitude even more than how to go about it. See, 12, 15 years says, the way of a fool seems right to him, but a wise man listens to advice. Now, what is the master plan that you have dreamed for your life? See, I am actually convinced, Shelton, how do I put this? To the degree that you have obsessed over a certain plan of your life, you actually more have tendency to be a fool. What I mean by that, whatever you fixated your life on, let's say your plan for your life is you must have this much amount of income. Let's say you must marry this person. Let's say you must 
uh, have this job to the degree that you are fixated upon this my plan must come through you will be much shy of listening others advice because you're like I've got to have it my plan is right this must come through as a result you obsess over it and you don't want to hear any contradicting advice that might go against the plan that you have put together. You tend to shun away those peoples because you are like, don't threaten my plan. I have this together. Oh, we talked about this. Proverbs focus much more on the heart attitude than the tactics itself. What are those, Shelton? What have you been so obsessing about that? God, I must have this much amount of money. God, I must have this person, this cause, this circumstance to go exactly as I planned. When you hold so tightly, you don't want to hear any other's advice or you pretend to hear it, but in the end, you don't hear it. You just tell what you want because you're obsessed over that. What is that? To the degree that you obsess about the master plan of your life, you have more possibility and tendency to be in the way of a fool and proud. What is that for you? See, in the end, Book of Proverbs, the entire book is about planning. How to plan your life. Live a life in the way, in the counsel of the Lord. Listening His counsel. Listening the people of God in a fellowship. But oftentimes, we don't want to hear anything that contradicts with our dream, our desire, and our plan. See, we tend to, then Jin, just tell me the plan of God. I'll do it. We tend to fixate off and off on the kind of, in a sense, hidden will of God or secret will of God rather than the revealed will of God. Rather than truly obeying and what God has shown in Scripture, oftentimes what we so obsess about rather than contentment in all that God has given us, we obsess over things that we must have. This job, this status, this power, this certain types of fantasy that you dream about. And they're like, how do I find this hidden will of God so that I can be successful? Well, those, whatever you want to call it, secret or hidden will of God or your master plan for your life, those aren't necessarily manufactured. But as you continue to obey in the will of God, reveal the will of God in Scripture, it's organically come day by day as God has willed. What God has willed will come through regardless but oftentimes we fixate on those little plans little cosmos that we have planned ignoring the captain of our ship the captain of our soul our god who truly has master plan for our lives because we say my plan must come through at all cost do you really love god and obey god Shelton, first and foremost more than you love your fixated plan that you're daydreaming about what is that for you one of the greatest theologians ever lived, St. Augustine, African theologian around early church time, he preached on 1 John 4, the famous love chapter there. Um, and in that chapter, oftentimes St. Augustine's quote has been kind of casually paraphrased as, love God and do whatever you want. It's true, it's true, but it's very reductionistic. What Augustine really meant in its entirety, listen to what Augustine says. First and foremost, we need to love him, abide ourselves in him completely. And when you do that, 
the plans that you put together in a way that you live your life will be pleasing to him because you'll do anything to follow his ways. This is how Augustine puts it in a full robust way in his actual words, not paraphrase. Love and do what you will. Whether you hold your peace, through love hold your peace. Whether you cry out, through love cry out. Whether you correct, through love correct. Whether you spare, through love do you spare. Let the root of love be within. Of this root can nothing spring but what is good. Do you really want to treasure the revealed will of God, the counsel of God, listen to his correction, listen to his advice, rather than fixate it upon your plan? See, we plan because God is the master planner. And it requires great humility of our heart to be able to follow his will in my life rather than imposing our will. There's a need for humility. And finally, let's talk about third point. Because by this time, you might have a question. Jin, so it sure sounds like you're implying, so as long as I love God and whatever I plan, it will come to fruition then because I love God, right? Is that what it is? Well, not quite. Let's take a look at one step further. So let's see the third point. The sovereignty of God in our planning. How does the sovereignty of God play out? Uh, when you read like following verse like 16.1, it says, To humans belong the plans of the heart, but from the Lord comes the proper answer of the tongue. Uh, verse 9. In their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord established their steps. 21.31. The horse is made ready for the battle, but victory rests with the Lord. Now, what is going on here? It seems like word is saying we can plan whatever we want, but God's will will truly prevail. Is that right? Actually, yes. Then you might say, if you're a logical thinker, then, then what good is our planning? Well, God is going to do whatever he wants, so we shouldn't even plan. And then actually, no, not quite. Then you might say, well, Jen, you are either you are con the way you interpret Bible is contradicting one another or is God contradicting one another? What good is this? If God's going to do what he wills, then why? We don't need to plan. Well, not really. What I mean by that. Here's a million dollar word for you, church, today. There's a concept called conquer stay. It means divine concurrence. It means the agreement or union in action. Like, does God use my plan or does God carry out only his plan? But this divine concurrence affirms that two or more events or circumstances happening or existing at the same time. God can use your plan and God's plan and marry it together to bring out what he has planned, plan A for your life. In a sense, it says, concurrence says that two or more parties can act in the same event and produce a given outcome without all parties having the same intent. It means, is it up to God or is it up to you? Yes. God can take all your plans, your success and your failure and still bring about the plan A that God has designed for your life. Do you believe the sovereignty of God in your life? This divine concurrence. Now, this even helps explain how God can even permit 
evil, right? Sometimes the God permits evil. He's not an author of evil. He has holy intent in all he ordains. Evil is evil, but the Lord never has an evil intent, and he never does evil himself. Yet, he can even work through evil. See, you might have a great plan to please the Lord, but the enemies can throw rants in your plan. But God can even take that to bring about his best plan for your life. How do I know? The greatest example <coughs> is found in the cross of Jesus Christ. When you think about cross of Jesus Christ, are those people who crucified Christ responsible for their sins? Absolutely. They did it. But did that really throw away God's plan? No. God is exactly will to even use the greatest evil done to the most innocent human being and God, Jesus Christ, to bring about the best news that you and I can possibly imagine. Do you see that how God can use this concurrence? He used your will, yet His sovereignty will always prevail. He will take all you will and bring about the best plan He has. So in other words, you can never mock up God's plan for you. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, Chilton, I don't care what kind of mistakes you have made. I've messed up too. Come back, repent before the Lord. And you will never be able to mock up God's plan in your life because our God is that good and that loving. See, doesn't this give you great rest of your heart? If God can use greatest evil for our good, and always bring about plan A for our lives. There's no oops in God. There's no plan B for us. You can come to the Lord always resting. Yes, bring your plan. If it is just up to me, I will not be able to sleep tonight, Sean, because I must do everything possible to bring about my will. But if God never uses my plan, I'll just be lackadaisical. I have no motivation for life. But he uses all my plans and success and failure and bring about what he exactly intended for my life. He marries this human planning to bring about God's grand plan in my life and in your life. One of the great examples found here is 2 Kings 5. In that chapter, there's Naaman was the captain of the army of King Aram. He had leprosy, so he goes to the king of Israel, the king of Aram sends a letter to the Israel. The king of Israel says, oh, I don't know what to do with it. And then prophet Elisha hears about it. And so he's like, well, having come to me. So Naaman goes to prophet Elisha. When he went, he was expecting something spectacular to happen. Well, I'll do anything, but Elisha says, well, just go take a shower in the river, then your leprosy will be gone. And you're like, okay, is that it? That was it. First, Naaman expected something extraordinary plan of God to be able to heal him. But what the prophet Elisha told him was so ordinary that threw him off. And second, it wasn't plan A for Naaman to go to prophet Elisha initially. He was rejected by king of Israel. So even through, first of all, we always want extraordinary work of God to come through. God, show me this hidden will of God in a miraculous way and I'll obey you. We want extraordinary God to do extraordinary things, split the sky and show the thing. And we want, we don't want anything mundane, ordinary, but sometimes and actually a whole lot of times, 
God simply even takes your plan B, plan C, whatever things that didn't work out to bring about his plan in most ordinary ways that is possible. So there's no plan B, even though it seems like it's plan B in your life, there's no plan B in God's sight. Then Naaman is healed in through the most ordinary means by taking a shower in a Jordan River in the end. God used the human planning of Naaman. He brings everything. God doesn't take that in the end, but uses all that to bring about his good to heal him. I even think about my life, how I came to where I am today. My dad loves reading newspaper, Shelton. So one day I was a freshman in high school and he's reading a newspaper and says, Jen, here's the exchange student thing. You want to try it out? Okay, I'll try it out. I went, I tested, I failed. Well, that was short-lived, too bad. Second year, he still loves reading newspaper. He sees another ad following year in my sophomore year in high school. Jin, you want to go try it? Okay. It was test was supposed to be full score, the 76. I can't remember what the exact full score was, but I was supposed to score like 45 or above to pass. I think I scored a 44, <laughs> but I begged, hey, I can do this, please help. And they actually let me come to America after that. Uh, so I came when I was in high school. It happened to be I met this guest lecturer in my ESL class about scholarship. And then this person told me about the college in Florida. I couldn't have gone unless I got a diploma, but the high school I went happened to give me a diploma. I went to college. I happened to meet a professor from a seminary in Dallas. So I went to Dallas for grad school. While I was there, I happened to, I wasn't planning on doing my doctoral studies initially, but I needed it. So I ended up enrolling my doctoral studies that allowed me while I was there, I ended up finding a Princeton pastor there while I was there. Because I was in doctoral in Glenside here at Westminster, I found out about eventually Chelton too. Do you think I could have orche orchestrated all that? Not at all. Was that my plan in my life? No way. There are so many other things I thought God was showing me. But God used all my even failure. God used all my whatever you want to call it, plans that I intended or didn't intend. And apart from my dad loving, my dad reading a newspaper, I won't be here. My dad loved the newspaper for you, Chelton. God can use every single details of our lives, use our human responsibility to bring about his master plan. So you can never mock up God's plan for your life, Chelton. Wouldn't that give you equilibrium at night? I can sleep great at night. I can sleep well tonight knowing that God is sovereign. In the end, He's going to bring about His will. Yet He used my responsibility for His glory and for our good. So in the end, what is God calling us to do today, Shelton? If we plan because our God is the master planner and He's calling us to humble ourselves and be open to advise and counsel of God and others in our planning. And even in our planning, success and failures, His sovereign will will truly prevail in every single aspect of our planning. Watch our role then. What does here 16.3 says? Commit to the Lord whatever you do and He will establish your plan. We normally use this verse as if Hey, God, I committed myself. Give me what I want. Desires of my heart. He will establish your plan. But no, it's like as if we commit whatever we do. 
It doesn't say all of a sudden we get whatever we want. He's the one who will ordain our steps each day. This word commit means, does not mean I commit to God so I get whatever I want. This commit actually literally means kind of roll over. Give it all to God, whatever your dreams, whatever your ambition is. So we don't say, God, here's I commit myself to you. So let my kingdom come, let my will be done. No. As you commit yourself to God, you say, God, let your kingdom come, let your will be done. So I roll over myself. I give my everything to you. And I'll take my open, empty hand of nothingness, my this plan that I had in my life, it's all yours. Establish step, establish each step of the way. I'll follow however you need me. Will you be able to do that? Whatever you desperately want to hold on, will you commit that to the Lord and be open-handed about it today? Because it's such a problem, I think, to the degree that you obsess about, to the degree that I obsess about my plan. C.S. Lewis in his book, Abolition of Man, says this, in the ancient times, the cardinal problem of human life was how to conform the soul to objective reality. And the solution was wisdom, self-discipline, and virtue. But for modern, for us, the cardinal problem is how to conform the reality to the wishes of man. In other words, what Lewis is addressing, ancient people at least saw God as king. God, I give my plan to my king, my sovereign king. Take it and whatever you will, I carry out. I conform my desire according to your plan, my king. But modern, you and I often turn our king to our assistant. God, may you fulfill all my plan as my assistant. Is that how you want to go about it? Commit to the Lord. That's not mean just to commit my way to the Lord. He must bring it to pass whatever I will. No, it means we give everything open-handed for our good God will carry out plan A's for our life. That plan A may not be the most successful, charming road that you might imagine. It might not mean million dollars for you. It may be filled with sufferings. But God intends what is only best for you to bring about likeness of Christ in your life. Wouldn't you want that? And if God is truly sovereign over your life, wouldn't you find rest of your soul? Even look at people like Jacob who lived by deception. He deceived his father. He deceived his brother. He was deceived by his uncle. But even Jacob could not still mock up God's best plan for his life. Chelton, your life is in the hand of the Lord. If our Lord and Savior brought us the best news you can imagine through the cross of Jesus Christ, through the greatest evil, He brought us the road for salvation, redemptive history, this God's master plan for us. If God has done that for us, and yes, He did, now we can commit our plans to the Lord. God, this is my desire. This is my desperate heart longing. You might crush it, it might not come as I wish, but I still trust whatever you give to my way is for my good and for your glory. And that is the plan A for my life. Will you be able to roll over, commit your desires and plan to the Lord today, Chelton? As we do that, as we give ourselves, 
uh, may the Lord truly make us in the likeness of Christ as you truly abide at the foot of the cross. This glorious paradoxical truth that God used the evilest, the most worst human plan to execute the innocent God and man to bring about greatest good for our salvation. He can certainly take our desire and our plan and bring about God's plan for you. And it is good. You and I can rest in that. So when you doubt the goodness of God, when God seems to delay the timing, when God's sense of timing tends to confound your sense of timing, what you perceive to be plan A, Will you choose to trust God? Will you choose to remember the cross of Jesus Christ and rest in His goodness? God has a great plan for you, Chelton, and best things are yet to come. Let us behold the cross of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, you have good plans for our lives. God, we want to be like you, the master planner who willed for our good, but oftentimes, Lord, we want to impose our plan on you. God, will you cause us to release our grip on our life, how we fixated our dream, my life should go this way. Allow us to release that and commit our entire selves, roll over ourselves into your presence and truly make your king not our assistance, imposing our will to you. No, may your kingdom come, may your will be done here in my life, here on earth, here in the life of our Cheltenite, here in the lives of all who have gathered for your glory and for our good. God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In your precious name we pray. Amen.